0: My question to you today is, uh, <clears throat> how long can you hold a grudge? That's the question. How long can you hold a grudge? Forever. Forever. <laughs> how long can you hold a grudge? I texted this. Uh, I texted the the title of the uh, message to Mike and Jess because they get it ready for the streaming, and and uh, it didn't. It was like seconds. I got a response back. A long time. <laughs> And uh, I won't tell you which one said that, but it was one of those two. And, uh, you know, I think the answer is as long as I feel like it. How long can you hold a grudge? As long as I feel like it. As long as I want to hold it. Because I have something to say about it, and I have a choice to make in it, right? I'm not being forced to hold a grudge. No one's got a gun to my head. You keep that grudge as long as you possibly can. Nobody's forcing me to do it. Max Lucado, who uh, you've heard of, I'm sure, he writes a lot of books, and he's a pastor as well. He says, resentment becomes a black, furry, growling grudge. He says, grudge starts with a growl. Grr. He said, like a bear with bad breath coming out of hibernation. (laughs) There was this lady... And she had an appointment with the marriage counselor. And she told him flat out, she said, I would like to divorce my husband. And the counselor said, well, do you have any grounds? And she said, why, yeah, we have almost an acre. (laughs) And the counselor is kind of puzzled. He says, you don't understand. What I want to know is, do you and your husband have a grudge? The lady answered, actually, we don't, but we do have a nice carport. And at this, the counselor shook his head and said, Ma'am, I'm sorry, but I just don't see any reason why you should divorce your husband. The lady looked at the counselor and said to him, It's just that the man can't carry on an intelligent conversation. (laughs) Some of you got to think about this for a second. Oh, man. Someone else said, The longer you nurse a grudge, the longer it takes to get better. And that's true. So, how long can you hold a grudge? Let's look, let's look at Obadiah. You'll say, well, What's that got to do with anything? You'll see this is what happened here. Turn to the book of Obadiah. We looked at the first uh, nine verses last week, and we, <clears throat> we, uh, we saw that his huge problem that he had, Obadiah had, was this problem of pride. And this book of Obadiah, the smallest, book in the Old Testament, the shortest of the minor prophets, written by this guy Obadiah, which don't, we don't know a lot about, but his name means servant or worshiper of the Lord. And he writes to Edom, he writes to this nation, the nation of Edom or, or Esau, about pride. And we talked a lot about that, how, you know, most of us don't have that problem, at least I don't have that problem, I'm pretty happy about it. How did that story go, Kelly? You forgot already? I did. And I'm proud of it. I'm proud of it. Can you just tell me right now? Well, I remember the uh, guy was saying last year I had a big problem with pride in my life. But this year I can't find anything wrong with myself. (laughs) Last year I had a real big problem with pride, but this year I can't find anything wrong with myself. That's us. That's us. Pride is deceptive. It's deceitful. It, it deceives us. And, and we, we, we see, we, the Bible tells us that's what brought Satan down. That's the pride that he had. He wanted to be like God. In fact, he wanted to have the power. He wanted to be up there with God. And for you and I, and for Obadiah's message to the nation of Edom, it's thinking that we can do it on our own. Thinking that we are invincible. Thinking that we just don't need God. The pride of our hearts deceives us. But what I want to talk about this morning is that pride also ruins relationships. And that's why I'm talking about the grudges today. It ruins relationship it ruins relationship between us and God. It's huge, a huge problem, huge barrier. That's why it says, you know, that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. But see, our pride, it it keeps us from one another and our relationships with one another as well. It causes all kinds of issues, all kinds of problems. It keeps us from humbling ourselves, from forgiving, and that's what happened here with this nation of Esau. Let's read verses 10 through 14. It says there, because of the violence, he's talking about pride, he says you're going to be cut down, you're going to be humbled, God is going to do it. He says, verse 10, Because of the violence against your brother Jacob, you will be covered with shame. You shall be destroyed forever. On the day you stood aloof while strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. You should not look down on your brother in the day of his misfortune, nor rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor boast so much. In the day of their trouble, you should not march through the gates of my people in the day of their disaster, nor look down on them in their calamity in the day of their disaster, nor seize their wealth in the day of their disaster. You should not wait at the crossroads to cut down their fugitives, nor hand over their survivors in the day of their trouble. This is a very interesting story about two brothers, really, And talk about how long they can hold a grudge. These two brothers were twin brothers, Jacob and Esau. And Edom comes from Esau. The name uh, has a connection with the word red because they had kind of red hair. We'll read some of that. But this guy Edom, this nation Edom, it's individual but it's also a national thing that can happen. They were holding a huge grudge. But they were holding a grudge for a very, very, very long time. Depending on how you date the letter of Obadiah, it's somewhere between 1,100 and 1,400 years they're holding this grudge. The book of Ezekiel, chapter 35, says that Edom, they harbored an ancient hostility. An ancient hostility. Can you think about that? And usually that's what happens with grudges. They become, you hold them for a long, long time, and then it becomes ancient you've held onto this thing for so long. You're mad at this person for so long. Half the time, I don't know about you, but half the time you can't even really remember like, what it was all about. You just know that you're mad against them, and you are not going to be friends with them. You're not going to make any peace with them. How long can you hold a grudge? That's the question, isn't it? And what does it get you in the end? What did it get Edom eat, eat here? Look what it says there. They were cut down. They were covered with shame. It says in verse 10, You will be destroyed forever. It didn't go well with them at all. It doesn't help us to hold grudges. It's not going to give us some kind of advantage down the road. I like this quote, and I'm sure you've heard it before. Holding a grudge is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. You heard that? We drink the poison, but yet we expect them to die. And that's like what it is for us to have these grudges. We're wanting them to suffer. We're we're wanting them to pay the price, but in the end, it's us that's paying the price. In the end, it's me. That's being heard. Now the truth of the matter is is that Edom had good reasons, very good reasons, to hold grudges, to be resentful. We're going to look at that. Let's turn back to Genesis, the first book of the Old Testament, the first book of the Bible. Look at Genesis chapter 25, and you'll see how far back this goes. Genesis chapter 25, starting in verse 19.. <clears throat> This is the account of Abraham's son Isaac. And Abraham became the father of Isaac. And Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah. Verse 21, And Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. And the Lord answered his prayer. And his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. And the babies, plural, they jostled each other within her. And she said, why is this happening to me? That's a good question when you're having twins, I think. Why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. That's important to remember that. The older will serve the younger. And When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red. And his whole body was like a hairy garment, so they named him Esau. And after this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. And Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. Man, that's like how old I am now. Having twins, like right now, I don't know if I could deal with it. Especially these two. And the troubles that would happen with these two, Well, you see the first one, the older, is Esau, also known as Edom. And the boys grew up, verse 27, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was a quiet man staying among the tents. And Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau. He had a favorite. But Rebekah loved Jacob. She had a favorite. A little bit of problem going on in the household there. A little dysfunction. Any of you have a dysfunction in your homes? No, not me. Not not our house. Dysfunction, what is that? We had that problem once, but we're all better now. That was last year. Verse 29, once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. And he said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That is why... He was also called Edom, the color red. Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright. He said, look, I'm about to die, Esau. said, what good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him and selling his birthright to Jacob. And then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. And he ate and drank, and then he got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. So so Jacob pulled this thing here. He wasn't going to bless his brother, wasn't going to help his brother. So this is like the beginning. It probably started a long time before that. But how would you feel about it? Your little brother kind of does, you know, he's, he's only probably minutes or maybe an hour later, younger than you, but he's still your little brother. Your little brother does you bad like that. How are you going to feel about it? Oh, no problem. No problem, no issues. Like I said, he had He had reason. Then in chapter 27, it's fascinating you read about this story here because it's all family stuff and it's, it's like so relative, relevant to us. In, in Genesis chapter 27, Jacob steals, not only did he steal Esau's birthright, but he also stole the blessing that should have gone to, to uh, Esau. You know the whole story, he pretended to be Jacob went in pretending to be Esau so that that his dad would give him the blessing instead of Esau. Another dysfunctional part of it was that his mother helped him with mom's help. Why? Because because he was mom's favorite. So you're going to help your favorite out, right? You're going to do what needs to be done. And so the sad thing about it, though, when when you read the whole account is that Mom helped him out, but because of that, he had to flee. He had to leave. He had to go far, far away, and he never saw his mother again. See, these kinds of things, we, we get involved in these things, but there's always fruit, right? There's always something that comes out of it. He never got to see his mother again. They didn't have text messaging, Skype. They didn't have any kind of way to communicate back then. When you were far, far away, you, that's it. Communication is done. Look at verse 35 there, though, in... In Genesis chapter 27, verse 35, <clears throat> Esau is speaking to his father, excuse me, Esau is, uh, excuse me, Isaac is speaking to Esau, but he said, your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. And Esau said, isn't he rightly called Jacob, which can be translated heel catcher or someone who grabs the heel? Deceiver, he says, he has deceived me these two times. He took my birthright, and now he's taken my blessing. Then he asked his father, "Haven't you reserved any blessing for me?" And Isaac answered Esau, "I have made him lord over you, and have made all his relatives his his servants, and I have sustained him with grain and new wine. So what can I possibly do for you, my son?" And Esau said to his father. Do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me too, my father. Then Esau wept aloud. His father answered him, Your dwelling will be away from the earth's richness, away from the dew of heaven above. You will live by the sword. You will serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you will throw his yoke from off your neck. In verse 41, look what it says there. Esau held a grudge against Jacob. Because of the blessing his father had given him, he said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are near, and then I will kill my brother, Jacob. This is where we're reading now again some 1,100 to 1,400 years later from when these events occurred. And and this grudge that he started out with is still very, very active, very, very real. I hate Israel. I hate Jacob. How long are you going to hold a grudge? How long can you hold a grudge? He had very good reasons for it, didn't he? Not only did his brother take his birthright, take his blessing, but part of the blessing was that that he would have to serve his younger brother. That kind of stirs up some issues, doesn't it? No, I'm the oldest, I should be the one. I should be the one, kind of the highest ranking one. And, and yet, I'm going to have to like serve him? This is, you see, where the pride starts to come in. No, I, I, no, no. I'm not going to do that. My pride won't let me do that. My pride won't let me humble myself. And, and even, if God, even if that's what God wants, because we read that, that's what God had or, actually ordained when he spoke to their mother, If God ordains it, shouldn't we want to do it? But no, our pride says, no, I'm not going to do that. I refuse. And so that grudge lasted and lasted and lasted and lasted. Let's turn back to Obadiah. It says that, in verse 10, it says that you will be destroyed forever because of this grudge because of this resentment because of this anger and hatred it just continued and continued and continued can you pass on something like that absolutely can you affect somebody else by the way you feel one of your children maybe your grandchild can you affect them by passing on your hatred and resentment do you think they'll they can pick that up absolutely they can it's what happens it's what happened here But it's going to affect who? It's going to affect Edom. It's going to affect Esau. The nation of Esau, they will be destroyed forever, he says. Charles Swindoll said this. He said, if you hold grudges, take revenge, or continue in feuds and fights, your own failure is certain. Who's it going to affect? It's going to affect me. If I hold this grudge, if I hold on to this, if I cherish this thing, because it gets me all bound up like this, and it's going to affect me in the end. The other person, many times, the other person doesn't even have a clue that I'm even, like, having this issue. Can you think of someone like that you're kind of angry with? No, no, none of you here. That just doesn't happen. It doesn't happen to us good church-going people, right? It's the other people out there, the other ones out there that have those issues. No, no, it's you and me. Oh, God, help us. God, help us. Notice here, it's like within the family. That's a big issue. It's a big thing here. It's in the family. It's brother to brother. That's what he says here. He uses that word, your brother. Violence against your brother, he says. You're looking down on them because you're better than them. You look down on them. He said those words many times. You look down on them because you are superior. You're better. This pride thing is getting in there. and Pride keeping us from taking the place God has given to us. Violence in the family. I, I did a little research and I, and I found that for the statistics of murder, 20% are by family members. One of every, out of every five is by a family member. There's a little bit of stuff going on there, wouldn't you think? Not, not some stranger out there. 20% are by one of your own family members. Wow. Verse 11, look what it says there, that, that Obadiah, he says, on the day you stood aloof while, st- while strangers carried off his wealth. In other words, they just stood there and did nothing. There's kind of a progression that we see here, but he starts off with just not doing anything. He sees that his brother is in trouble in this particular uh, scenario here. He sees his brother's hurting, and what does he do, Right? You and I can hurt somebody just by not doing anything when there's something going on and, and we just stand by and do nothing. That's just as bad as doing something bad, isn't it? I think. It's one of those passive-aggressive things, right? I don't use a lot of those psychological terms, but, but I like that one. It just sounds good. Passive-aggressive. Like, don't do anything, but you're really, really doing something aggressive. Like, you're really getting somebody by not doing anything. Oh no, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. Well, you know, it's not my problem. Why should I get involved? It's not my problem. It's their problem. Let them work it out. Someone said this Am I my brother's keeper? Yeah, I think we are. I think we're supposed to be. Supposed to watch out for our family members, watch out for our brothers and sisters. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, you know, when one falls, the other's there to lift him up, to help him out. That's what we're supposed to do. Look Look at verse 12. It says there, You shouldn't look down on your brother in the day of his misfortune or rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their destruction or boast so much in the day of their trouble. You should not march through the gates of my people in the day of their disaster or look down on them in their calamity. There's this idea of, of, you know, kind of rejoicing or gloating when they have done something, when something's happening to them. And this is what it says in the Proverbs. Don't gloat when your enemy falls, when he stumbles. Don't let your heart rejoice so the Lord will see and disapprove and turn His wrath away from Him. You know, when we're kind of, you know, maybe we wouldn't even say it, but we kind of get this thing. And I can... I can understand. You get this thing, you're mad at somebody and you're kind of glad when it kind of goes bad for them. When something negative happens to them. But you know what? That really just kind of shows us where our hearts are at. It just shows us where it shows me where my heart's at. Like, wow, why would why should you be feeling that way? Why should you be happy if something bad is happening to them, especially if they're one of your own family members? Don't gloat. Don't gloat. So again, there's this progression where the grudges get worse and worse, looking down on them, and, and finally in verse 14, it says that they were waiting at the crossroads to cut down their fugitives and handing over their survivors in the day of their trouble. They went from inaction to action, and the action was negative, and they and, and usually that's what happens. That's how it escalates, right, from... Just kind of like, I'm angry, i got this grudge, and I'm not, I'm not going to help, I'm not going to do anything. And, and that's why we see this kind of violence happening with families, because it escalates and gets worse and worse, and then, and then something bad can happen. So the only answer, really, is what? Forgiveness and letting go. See, I don't like to hear that. God is the one that forgives. I don't, I don't need to. I shouldn't have to. Let it go. No, I shouldn't have to do that. Do you know what that person did to me? We looked back and we say, yeah, he had good reason. He had good reasons to be uh, resentful and hold this grudge and be angry and all the rest of it. He had good reasons for it. But who got hurt in the end? He did. Edom did. The only answer for you and for me is to forgive, to let it go, not hold it. Charles Stanley said forgiving someone means giving up resentment and the right to get even with him or her, even though you were wronged. He says God insisted this was the only way to go through life. And one reason he commands us to forego hostility and vengeance is that these things cause so much damage to our own lives. See, they, we're the one drinking the poison. Say, well, you don't know what that person... No, I don't know, but God knows. And He will work in you. It's like, it's like taking a weight off of your shoulders when you're able to forgive and let go. Very interesting, this verse here in Leviticus chapter 19 says, Don't seek revenge or bear a grudge. Not a garage. A grudge against one of your people. But love your neighbor as yourself. He says, "I am Yahweh, I am the Lord. Now, does that last part uh, remind you of anything? The Great commandment, right? Jesus said, and they came to him and says, "What are the greatest commandments What's the first thing he said? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul, mind and strength. And, and then the second he says, is like it. He says, "Love your neighbor as yourself." And, and where did he get that from? He got that from Leviticus 19:18. Jesus knew the word, of course, because he was the Word, and He gave us the word, and He's God, and so it's the Word of God. So he knew that, but he's quoting from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. "Part of loving your neighbor as yourself is not. Seeking revenge is not bearing a grudge. But what, what kind of brings it all together is the last part there. He says, the Lord says, I am the Lord. That's where we need to look. That's where we need to focus. As we humble ourselves, as we, as we forgive, as we, as we don't let pride kind of keep us. I, I, I'm convinced, you know, I've been married, um, I think it's about six weeks now, you know I have trouble with time. Some of you know that. But we we have been seriously married for a long long time and I think one of the secrets, if I can say it's a secret, it's not really a secret, but one of the things that makes a marriage last is putting aside pride and being willing to humble yourself and say I'm sorry. And I and I really don't want to carry on a, a battle with you and and please forgive me and pray together. It's miraculous, let me tell you, it is miraculous. Because my wife is very proud. (laughs) I used to have that problem. But you know, I got over it. I let it go. But you know what? To be able to say I'm sorry and and to humble yourself, it's what keeps it going, you know? and I knew this from early on that, that uh, without God's help, we would never be able to stay married just because of the kind of people we were and the kinds of things that, you know, that, that we grew up with and the things we saw and the things we knew and didn't know. But God helped us, and, and that is one of the big things about it is to say, you know what, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Even if it wasn't you that did the whole thing, you're still reacting to it, and that's enough to be sorry for. I'm sorry that I, I, get, I got really mad. I'm sorry that I reacted that way. Now, you can't force the other person to say they're sorry, but you know what? I think through the years, we have, we have got to this place where we both realize that we're both sorry. Don't laugh about that. We're both sorry. You are sorry. You are sorry. No. We're both, we both are honestly and sincerely sorry. And, it, and, and, and the battles that we used to have, they're very short. Very short. You don't hold on to those things. You know, I, I hear about this. You know, people getting angry with each other, husband and wife, family members, and not speaking to each other for like 10 or 20 years. That's insane. Or even within a marriage, you know, not speaking to each other for a week or, or two weeks or something like that. That is not right. It's not right. It's, that's holding on to resentment. That's holding on to a grudge. we gotta, we got to stop. We can't let that happen. Because the enemy is right there at the door. And, and there's a verse, I was going to write it down here, where it says that, you know, we need to forgive. And, and being willing to forgive... Is important, he says, because we are not ignorant of the enemy's schemes. And one of the things that he takes big time advantage of is when we we are unwilling to forgive, when we are unwilling to humble ourselves, and we let that pride just hold. You know, you know, I'm not going to be the first one to say I'm sorry. What is that? That's pride. Satan says, "Yeah, you're with me now. Right on." I think we should be proud that we were the first one to not let pride. Now, oh, wait a minute. That's circular reasoning. You know what I'm saying, though, right? Be the first one. And then you can say, listen, I was the first one to say I'm sorry. No, don't say that. That, that won't work. But don't be afraid to be the first one, especially you guys Sometimes us men, you know, we're just, hey, I'm the man. No, i got to be the man. No, you got to love your wife. you got to humble yourself. Don't let pride stop us. How long can you hold a grudge? Well, the truth is any length of time is too long. Any length of time is too long. I want to close with Romans chapter 12, so let's turn into the New Testament. We'll read these verses and we'll close. because it's potluck Sunday. (laughs) Romans chapter 12, verse 17. He says, don't repay. Actually, look back just to the last verse. He says, don't be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the sight of everybody. And if it is possible, as far as it depends, and you live at peace with everyone, do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. Remember that verse, Leviticus 19, 18. I am Yahweh, he says. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, and I will repay, says the Lord. And on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. And do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I have to remind myself sometimes, you know, that my wife is not my enemy. My family members are not my enemies. Sometimes we treat each other like that, don't we? that said, even if they are, he says, bless them, overcome evil with good. Let's pray together, shall we? Father God, we come before your throne, for you are the one who is Yahweh, the Lord. And we humble ourselves before you, and we, we have no room for pride. We have no room for thinking that we are something extraordinary or something over somebody else. You are the one that is over all. And so we humble ourselves before you. And we pray, Father, you'd help us in our relationships to not let pride guide the way. but Rather, we would, we would let humility bring peace. Father, help us because we are proud. And we're proud of it. And we are just wanting to have our own way. And we don't like it when people do stuff to us. We we want to show them, Lord, who we are. But God, it doesn't help us. I know it just doesn't help. So, Father, help us to go your way. To love our neighbors as ourselves. That's what your word tells us. To love you and love our neighbors as ourselves. Father, maybe there's somebody that we're thinking of that we just got an issue with, and Father, help us. We lay it before you. We don't even want to let go, but we pray you'd help us to let go. Help us to be willing, to be willing to let it go, to find healing, to find peace. Father, I also want to pray this morning as... As always, Lord, that today is a good day for anyone who doesn't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, that they could open their hearts and open their lives to the Savior, the only one who can bring the true answers to life, the one who came to forgive us, that we might also forgive others. The Lord Jesus who came and died upon that cross, who gave his life to pay for my sin, who was buried and rose from the dead and if, if today is a day and you need to receive Jesus, you are lost, you're searching, you want to know the truth, come to him and say, Lord, I come today. And I open my heart to you and I ask you to come in. I don't understand it all, maybe. But I need help and I ask you to come in and be my Lord, my Savior, and my God today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, let's stand and sing, shall we?